You're listening to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting. This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the Gadigal-Wongal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, David James Young here, back for another week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking this out. want to give a big thank you to everyone who uh, responded so positively to the launch of Not For Print Podcasts last week, the podcast network I've just started up, uh, which at this stage is just uh, Bar Bands and my other podcast, The Big Show Show Show. But uh, yeah, looking to expand and kind of build a network of uh, podcasts and producers and yeah just content people involved in all of that sort of stuff and uh, yeah just kind of build a network for people to kind of make podcasting easier and more accessible and and just still fun more than anything I think that's super super important and I think that's something that we forget about a lot so uh want to give a big thank you to everyone that has uh sent me a message or offered up their services or anything like that. Uh, yeah, the response so far has been super, super cool. And uh, yeah, if you would like to get on board, please go ahead and like it over on Instagram. It's not for print pods. Just spell that out and you will be good to go. This week's guest is Newton Faulkner. Uh, that is something I definitely did not think I would be saying when I first started this podcast five years ago. Who is Newton Faulkner? He is a multi-platinum singer, songwriter, prolific tourer, a guy who's been putting out records since the mid-2000s and has not looked back. He is a very distinctive performer, an incredible singer, a brilliant guitar player, and as it turned out, a super, super, super nice guy. I spoke to Newton when he came to Australia uh, towards the end of last year. This would have been about November 2019. He was super receptive, super friendly, a great guy to talk to, super honest about his whole process, I guess, from, you know, kind of being a a kind of a major label play thing for a little while there to uh, forging ahead as an independent artist and... uh, yeah, I guess the different levels and scales of, of touring and performance that he's given over the years. Uh, really thoughtful, really kind, and, and really polite, and super, super funny and entertaining guy. I was super stoked with how this one turned out. I want to give a big thank you to Nicole Stringer over at Chug Entertainment for helping to set this one up. Really, really appreciate it. Also, a big thank you to Paul McQuerta for his help editing this and putting it together as well. Bloody legend. Won't keep you much longer, just a reminder that this podcast is made possible with the help and the support of people just like yourself. If you 
like what you are hearing, then it would mean the absolute world if you could leave a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts or indeed wherever you get your podcasts from. Don't forget to subscribe as well. Tell your friends about what we're doing over here. If you maybe have some friends that are Newton Faulkner fans, uh, hit them up and let them know. Maybe there's a chance they will enjoy the other 150-odd episodes that are up in the archives there as well. And if you want to go the distance and help keep the lights on over here at Barbands slash DJY slash Not For Print HQ, then please consider supporting me over on Patreon. For as little as $1 a month, you gain access to a bunch of bonus content features, early access to episodes, and a bunch of other stuff that I am working on at any given time please head over to patreon.com slash David James Young for more information on that. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash David James Young. If you would like to get in touch in the meantime, barbandspod at gmail.com is your destination. Please drop me a line. Would absolutely love to hear from you if you are looking to potentially book a guest or if you are looking to potentially advertise on the podcast, then I'm sure we can sort something out. Barbands is open for business as always. Don't forget to follow Not For Print Podcasts over on Instagram at Not For Print Pods. You can follow me over on Instagram at DJY Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. And you can follow me over at Facebook, David James Young Writes as well. And uh, yeah, that will all of that will keep you updated on everything going on with bar bands, Not For Print, uh, Big Show Show Show, and everything else that I'm working on at any given time. So yeah. I think that's just about it. So let's cross now back to November 2019 to my chat with the absolutely fantastic Newton Faulkner. Looking for love. You're looking all kinds of places. Looking for love. I think I'm running out of patience. I can't find it anywhere. No. Can't find it anywhere. Oh, I can pretend. I can pretend to be. Hi, everyone. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in bar bands. Today, I would like to introduce you to my friend Newton Faulkner. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very well indeed. I'm having a good tour. That's what I'd like to hear. <laughs> How many shows in are we now? Uh, one, two, three, four. I think this is the fifth, fourth. Mm-hmm. It's one of those. It's a number. Yeah. <laughs> it's less than less than ten, more than one. Yeah. Somewhere in the somewhere in the middle there. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, far from your first rodeo. What do you remember about the first time you came here? Oh, first time I came here, I remember very clearly indeed because I got off the got off the plane and as soon as I stepped off the plane someone in the airport was like hey are you are you Newton Faulkner and I was like well yeah but how the fuck do you know that it was like I'm as far away from home as I can possibly physically be yeah and yeah I was I was absolutely kind of mind blown really (laughs) certainly would have helped you like Back then, it, it wasn't a stealth look. Like, no, you couldn't was, have mistaken you for anyone else. It was a beacon, let's yeah. be honest. 
just like, well, he's either Newton Faulkner or he's, or he's come dressed as Newton Faulkner. <laughs> I do. I feel really sorry for anyone with like long ginger dreads after I came out. Yeah, right. <laughs> I met this one guy that made a t-shirt saying, I am not Newton Faulkner. Fuck. Which I then made more of and actually sold. Because <laughs> I was like, that's absolutely brilliant. I'm having it. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, so you're just uh, on your own again on this run? Yeah, I'm out. I've got... Uh, I can't remember what pedalboard I had last time I came, but it wasn't this one. This one... I mean, this is my favourite setup I've had for a long time. It's like okay. a tiny little thing that's just immensely powerful. Uh, it's like a Bose mixing desk right. on my pedalboard. And everything's going in. And because I'm, I'm working with different engineers every night... Yeah. Because it just costs a fortune to fly someone over and then fly everyone around the country. Yeah, so what yeah, I've yeah. done is kind of done... I've done all the tricky stuff, like, in advance. So all the, like, the blend... Because the blending between the mic and the pickup... Because my guitars have a stereo output. Yeah. And getting the blend right between them is actually... It's hard. It's really hard to explain. Yeah. And then if they get it wrong, it's like it's my actual guitar sound. Yeah. Yeah, it made sense to find a way of basically doing that and then giving them that which they can tweak for the room. Right, yeah. Which is totally different to starting with, like, raw, crazy audio. Because, I mean, the pickup is... I mean, both channels have a huge amount of stuff that you don't want. Yeah. And it's kind of etching out the bits that you do. So yeah. it's But that's a game changer. And then also on that board is... A sub-octave and distortion, all kind of pre-squidged and compressed and ready to go. Brilliant. Which makes a massive... Oh, and the kick pedal as well, which is the the SPD-1. Yeah, right. Uh, which I don't know why literally everyone doesn't own. It's insane <laughs> to me. It's cheap, it's small, and it is so much better than a, any stomp box I've ever heard. It's so much smaller than carrying around, like... I'm trying to think what I used to do before. I had... I had a kick drum pedal, yeah. a like a whole actual like V drum, yeah, uh, and an SPDX, right, just to run it, yeah, 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 and all of that was to make one noise, <laughs> and I was like, someone has to do something, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I was looking into getting it made, and then someone said, dude, stop, stop talking to China, um, they've already made it. It's just it's quite hard to find on the website. <laughs> I mean, at least you passed over the, the new folk days where motherfuckers were just carrying around a bass drum and just know, stomping just, into that. That was a wild time. Marcus Mumford just up there, just fucking oh, going I mean, for it's it. great fun. I mean, if I, if I was on a big tour with a truck, I'd probably have a real drum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you... Like, it's just me... Me and my sister got on a plane on our way out here and had yeah. to spread the luggage between us. <laughs> I mean, it's the same noise. It's just That's so it. much... So much... And it's also... Because it's sample-based, it's so consistent. Like, it just yeah. sounds good yeah. everywhere you go. I mean, if Newton Faulkner can teach us anything, it's not the size, it's how you use it. That is very true. It's very true. <laughs> <laughs> so, I begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music, specifically where it changed from being something that you were maybe watching on TV, listening to on the radio, etc., to switching over to being, well, this is what I want to do, I want to sing, I want to play guitar, I want to be in a band, I want to be a musician, that sort of thing. Can you tell me how music kind of factored into your childhood, and if there was kind of a click moment where you're just like, I'm going to do that? I don't have one. It was quite, quite a gradual kind of just slide into it. Mm. By the time I had 
fully decided that I was not going to do anything else. I couldn't really remember how how it started. Right. But when anyone... I never made a choice. I was never like, okay, so I either want to work in a pharmacy yeah. or I want to I want to do music. Yeah. I, just, I never even thought about choosing between anything. It was just... I was so focused from when I properly got into playing, which is probably about kind of 13, which isn't that early. Mm. I mean, there's loads of people that start playing... Way younger, yeah. Way yeah. younger than that. And then by the time I was 16, I was at music college, mm. and I'd just gone, gone all out. Right, so who made you want to play guitar? Well, I'd, my dad... Because guitars had been around the house, and I'd been playing, like, little bits. Yeah. My dad taught me how to play sitting on the dock of the bay in bar sure, chords, and yeah, I'd yeah, done yeah. that. But I hadn't really, like, properly, like, fallen in love with it. And then my friends started a band, and if I wanted friends... Yeah. I had to learn the bass because there was two guitarists and a drummer. So I was like, I guess I'm playing bass then. So I got a bass, I think, on a Monday and did my first gig on, like, the Saturday. Like, it was so quick. wow. And it was just, like, kind of Green Day covers and... It must have been terrible. Like, I can't even mm. imagine how bad it must have yeah, been. Yeah, Newton Faulkner doing Green Day? Who, who, who would pay to see that? <laughs> <laughs> and then after... Yeah, after kind of playing bass I moved to guitar and I started writing and then I think it was it was when I started writing that something clicked I was like I really I really enjoy this and then I went to like my local little guitar shop and I played like a steel string acoustic it was an Ovation Celebrity Deluxe right and I played that and was suddenly like oh, oh. this is this is the thing because I'd played drums I'd played bass I'd played a bit of piano I played electric guitar, and it was suddenly like everything I'd learned from all of them mm. kind of had a home in this this one instrument. So after that, I really kind of really, really got into playing. Um, but to begin with, all of my influences uh, were all kind of fiddly players. So it was Eric Roach and Thomas Lieb and Tommy Emmanuel and Preston Reed and all these kind of quite extreme kind of players mainly instrumental players and then songwriting wise I was kind of listening to kind of Tom Waits and Randy Newman and Mm. kind of I wasn't really that into singers if you analyse what like everything I've listened to it was much more about the writing and the kind of emotion behind it and then my parents were really into kind of all the American hippie folk scene so Jenny Mitchell Crosby Stills Nash Young Neil Young on his own uh, up to kind of ELO and Steppenwolf was as heavy right. as they went. Yeah, they didn't yeah, go sure. any heavier than that. Yeah. That was kind of the line. But music was always kind of held up in such kind of high esteem growing mm. up. It was kind of music and comedy were yeah. like held up as like these are great men. Yeah. <laughs> which really kind of stuck with me. Sure. Where'd you grow up? Uh, just south of London. Right, okay. In, in the nice green bit. <laughs> so you would have had pretty immediate access to, to music then? like Yeah. Were you going? You would have been going to shows and stuff like that pretty early I think on. The first, the first gig I went to was the Eagles. Yeah, it's the Hell Freezes Over tour, and oh, then shit. then it was the Monkeys. I don't know how many of the Monkeys. Probably, I'd, I'd wager maybe three of them. Yeah, I, I don't think all four of them got back together until like the late. Okay, 90s. so at least three of the Monkeys. Yeah. I saw them. I swear that was a tiny gig as well. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I would have been tiny. So I don't know. <laughs> and then as I got. Kind of the first gig I went to, like with a mate, just me and my friend going up to London, was 
uh, Reef. I was in Place Your Hands. Yeah, Reef at the Astoria. Good shit. It's a great gig, actually. Nice one. I've played with them about 400 times now. Really? Oh, God. We we end up at a lot of the same places. Yeah, fuck. That must be surreal. That's really odd. (laughs) Just the whole time, just like, you probably can just talk to them now, but on the same time, like, always in the back of your head, it's just like, fuck. (laughs) 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 Just doing your best. (laughs) Oh, bless (laughs) you. Just real subtle in the background. Like, just quiet, like, no. <laughs> but then I've had that with loads of players as well. Like the first time I heard one of my favourite guitarists in the entire world mm. play live was when he was sitting on my sofa playing my guitar. Just really? Tuning. Yeah, it was Thomas Lieb. Thomas Lieb flew over. We kind of got in touch via the internet. Yeah. And I met him and he just, just started playing. And I was like, oh my God, this is one of the strangest Fuck. moments of my entire life. That's so crazy, man. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I've got to the point where I, I know most of my heroes. Yeah. Which is so odd. Right? And it's one of those things that you kind of get used to, and then occasionally when you actually say it out loud, you're like, that's weird. Isn't it? Oh, God. It's a real, like, brings you down to earth, doesn't it? You'll think, like, oh, yeah, I'm doing all right. And then you'll see someone who's like, oh, fuck, they are just on a whole other level yeah. entirely. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, I kind of, I'm definitely in it for the art I've kind of made things and I've made choices and I've decided to kind of operate outside the system a bit yeah 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 just cause I didn't yeah I think I did I made like a couple of artistic compromises mm. in the past and they, they didn't even really work yeah but it was just that cause I knew that I'd been like okay if these guys really want me to do that and are saying that's gonna work even if I don't absolutely love it yeah. It's probably a good idea. But then after like regretting I think it was all really early on. Yeah, yeah. And after like regretting regretting like a few things that slipped through the net. Mm. Say like two really. I was like, do you know what? It's actually not worth it. I would much rather do something that I absolutely love mm. and other people love and hate than do something that I've been kind of compromised a bit on that everyone yeah. is going to think is okay yeah yeah which is just it's the worst you don't want fence it is thing. yeah 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 like no one wants a three out of five yeah it's just yeah it's just it's rubbish isn't it so you've got to yeah it's that balance of kind of taking enough risks and making enough to f- feed my child yeah <laughs> oh, that old <laughs> which is yeah <laughs> <laughs> what do you remember about that first show that you ever played the first show i ever played well i did loads Loads of really tiny things. Yeah. So when I was playing bass, that was in, like, kind of village halls. Yeah, yeah. And I did all that and, like, kind of churches that were slightly more relaxed. Mm. Like, the first gig I did, because I wasn't... I was... I became Newton Faulkner a bit later. I was Newton Battenberg Faulkner for a little bit before that, because that's my other middle name. And I did a few gigs as that, but no one ever... spelt it right on the front of buildings <laughs> <laughs> or on posters or anything it's terrible is it a and I'm family to... name is it yeah I mean it's all my real names right yeah yeah so yeah. I'm Sam Newton Battenberg Faulkner so I've right. got all the names yeah wow it takes it takes up a lot of space <laughs> what was the what was the what was the selection process like <laughs> just well, elimination I, I lost Sam because there were loads of Sams that came out at the same time and I was like I don't want yeah. just another Sam yeah 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 so I went with all my other names and then it was like, that's actually, that's a bit, it's a bit too much. Can you, yeah. Can you just bring it down a bit? Yeah. Well, I think it's worked. 
I think it has. Oh, it sticks yeah. out. Cause yeah. it's weird. Yeah, totally. Loads of people just think I've made it up. Yeah. <laughs> and I talk to people like, ah, oh, so science and literature, thinking kind of Isaac Newton, oh. William, William Faulkner. And you, you just say what anyone else would say in that situation. Yes. Yeah, precisely. That's, that's, that's precisely yeah. it. <laughs> they're my... They're, I'm related to yeah. them. They're my dads. Yeah, yeah. It's like how Moby got his stage name from being directly <laughs> related to Herman Melville. <laughs> You're somehow related to Isaac Newton. It's canon now. Yep. I'm going to add that just, to the Wikipedia page. <laughs> what do you remember about the first uh, sort of like touring and stuff that you did? Like how early on in that... Process was that. I mean, all my early like proper tours were supporting people. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who they were. My first few were Palutini, James Morrison. They were both quite close, and I did a tour in the middle. Yeah, I think I was away that entire year. When I look at it on paper, I'm like, I just wasn't home. Yeah, well. uh, and those would have been. I would have been touring by train. Really? Yeah, because I d- I've never learned to drive. Yeah, right. And I was like, okay, well, I can just get the train. It's yeah. fine. You can get trains around England. England's, this is true. England's good for trains. Yeah. So I was watching them get on their fancy bus <laughs> and lugging my stuff to a train station and, like, the dodgiest hotels imaginable. Yeah. And getting up really early as well, because if you're, if you're traveling by train, the margin of error is huge. Oh, can, God, like, yeah. You could be there in an hour and a half. Or it can take seven hours. So I left seven hours to get everywhere. Yeah. Which was quite... It was quite nice. I mean, it was quite relaxing. Because I was there well before anyone else. Yeah. Every day. And there were times when they were late. Because of traffic and like, mm. buses and stuff. <laughs> uh, and I'd be like sitting reading my book outside the venue with my feet up. Yeah. And that, that felt alright. It was only... In fact, that is the only time it felt alright. The rest of the time it was just annoying. Yeah. <laughs> But that went on... Yeah, I did... I'm trying to think how many tours I did. I yeah, suppose so one's would have been tough, too. Yes, Paolo... That, oh, what's the other one? Oh, I did um, Nick Harper as well. He's another one of my kind of early guitar influences. Yeah, yeah, you're nice. But yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to remember when it switched from... It went from trains to splitter vans. Ah, uh, And yes. I, I love a splitter. Splitters are it's a great way of getting around. It's mm-hmm. nice and easy. Uh, but then my first, my first bus, like that was... You do feel like that is such a thing that no one really talks right? about it, but that is the moment when you're like, I am on top. I've become Paolo Nutini. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know what I've always done? I've always let the support stay on the bus. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it's just, it's if so, there's yeah, a it's spare so fucking bunk, big. Yeah, if there's a spare bunk, they, they can have it. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm curious, like, at what point did you start noticing that things were kind of taking that shift? Obviously, you know, you started, you know, with that slug of support tours and then, you know, transitioning into a headliner and then, you know, a couple of songs gained traction and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and the radio stuff and hearing yeah. yourself on the radio for the first time is weird. Oh, my God. Do you and remember first, that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time. Well, the first time I ever played on the radio was... I did a gig, it's actually Ronnie, Ronnie Scott's. So I did the Ronnie Scott's Sunday thing, which right. is less jazz, more acoustic stuff. Mm. And I did that, and Johnny Walker was there, who's a massive DJ in England, going yeah, all the yeah. way, like, early 70s pirate radio yeah. legend. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he saw me on the Sunday, I think the show was on the Wednesday. He had a guest booked, kicked them off, got me on, and I was straight, that was it. I was in. Fuck. 
That's um, huge. So that was, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. And then, what's the other one? Next Radio, I think, was Dermot O'Leary? Yeah. And then it was Jay Wiley after that. And then then I was, yeah, then it was on. That's it? Yeah. Absolute carnage for oh the my next, God. at least five years. Yeah. Before I, I mean, to be honest, it was five years before I even thought about what had happened. Yeah. Because it was just flat out, just go. Yeah. Like, I haven't spoken to that many people on this podcast that have had that kind of singular moment happen to them, you know? Like, it's such a huge thing to, you know, kind of divide a career pre and post into that sort of whole oh, affair. Gosh, but, like, yeah, at the at the time, like, how are you navigating that, like, you know, mentally and, you know, physically, like, in terms of, like, the demand on, yeah. you know, being I mean, out there and stuff like that? Like, that, it's a big thing to take in, especially because, what, you would have been, what, 22, 23? Yeah, 20, 21, 22. Yeah, fucking I hell. mean, I made a very conscious decision. Like, as things were kicking off, I was like, okay, things are kicking off. This is, this is good. Mm. And then I started kind of noticing what was going on. I was like, okay. Why Why did I get into this in the first place? I didn't get yeah. into this because I wanted to be on the front of magazines and I wanted everyone to stop me in the street. That's not... I got into this because I love the work. Yeah. And I made a conscious decision to always put the work above anything else because over 90% of what's happening is weird bullshit. So you kind of need to... <laughs> kind of put it to one side and be like okay that's lovely it's nice that everyone wants to do that it's also really stupid so let's yeah. just let's just park that and and there's loads of things that i just kind of nudged out of my out of my mind a bit just so i could focus on just doing a good job yeah because obviously it's so easy to just go off on massive tangents of being like oh i've got money i can afford to be drunk all the time yeah. <laughs> and I kind of I think everyone dips into that momentarily I think the first time you start getting a rider mm. at one point I was being given a bottle of whiskey every night so yeah. it's really hard to kind of work out oh what to do with that yeah. so like, oh. <laughs> the point where I realised I'd gone slightly too far was when I was doing a tour and I was finishing off I think I was in Australia actually yeah, right. yeah I was I was finishing off a bottle of whiskey and as the last drip came out I said to the other crew who else who else is drinking whiskey on this tour and they were like no one and I was so fine and felt completely normal but had also drank a bottle of whiskey about yeah. <laughs> an hour and a half oh my god and I was like okay should probably maybe park that for a bit as well yeah. stop that because that's actually it's actually quite a lot of alcohol you're yeah. uh, and then yeah, loads of things. Obviously, it goes up and down, and I've had stuff that's done really well. Like, the third album was number one album in the UK, and there's yeah. singles off that that did really well. And then, kind of, after that is when the industry... Like, the industry's been massively... Like, I really had the industry rug pulled out from underneath me, especially yeah. in the UK. Because, I mean, I, I fell through this weird radio chasm mm. between the first and second album. Yeah. Because I was... I mean, the dream, which I had... Uh, was, to, was to be on both radio, so Radio 1 and Radio 2, the two yeah. biggest stations. They don't, they've got this small crossover, and if you can get in it, it you get everyone. And that's what yeah. happened with the first album. And then with the, it was actually all politics-based. With the threat of um, new government, 
the Radio 1 was worried it was going to lose its license because it didn't have a young enough listener thing. And it's all government funded and their kind of mm. mandate is to be for younger people. Right. And as their listenership got older, they were worried they were going to lose their license. So they decided to, with Radio 2, which was always the older one, to polarize themselves from each other. Right. Which obviously makes sense because it's like, okay, we need to move a bit younger, so let's do that. Radio 2 needs to kind of stay in the same place but lean a little older. So logically, what happened if you were on both was you were suddenly on neither. Yeah. <laughs> because there's a big old hole that just appeared out of nowhere. And that was, that was, that was kind of odd and yeah. difficult. But the gigs, the gigs never really changed. Yeah. The gigs have consistently been... Like, I did London Palladium, and that was sold out. I've done... Like, I've done some big gigs, and they, they're really recently. So it's quite yeah. hard to feel bad about not being on the radio as much. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, there's... Like, I've got a career, and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Like, every time I come out... Like, a lot of this tour's sold out as well. Yeah, so sure. it's Like, there's so much to be so grateful for. Do you approach the scale of performances differently like for instance this is going to be the third time that i've seen you tonight and mm-hmm. the last two one was at the metro yep and one was at the enmore theater oh, uh, nice which are that. two like very obviously very different venues to, yes to very this, different vibe, you know? and yeah. like you obviously are at that kind of level where you can play a, a wide scale from like smaller clubs to bigger theatres and yeah, my or, like, that whole thing, spectrum my favourite thing is when they're back to back yeah and polar opposites so I think I did Isle of Wight Festival in England which is like 85,000 people like yeah crazy huge mm. and then I got on a plane straight afterwards and I was actually playing to 10 people in a pub yeah. <laughs> in America on this kind of really tiny tour and it was such a surreal and to be honest, I don't really change what I do. Yeah. I think I adapt to the room in terms of what it, what it needs, but I don't feel a lot of the time like situations need that much adapting. I remember one time I'd, I took the same equipment to two gigs. One was the Union Chapel. Yeah. Which is beautiful, amazing acoustic church which you play in and it sounds amazing and I took all these like I took all this gear that I didn't touch I didn't touch a single effects pedal didn't didn't do any tricks I was like mm. I can just sit and play and sing yeah. and it's really nice the next night I did a freshers ball in Liverpool I was on at three o'clock in the morning Woof. I had to change obviously I'd taken all the stuff with me so I had kick drums and I had yeah, other yeah, things yeah. what I did that night was essentially like a remix version of what I'd done the night before. So I put <laughs> kick drum in everything. everything. And because, right, so you wanted to, like, step it up. Yeah. yeah, and because they were so kind of loud, like, if I stopped, they were so drunk that it got really loud. So I actually kind of DJ-setted myself and didn't <laughs> leave gaps between songs, just kept the kick in and moved it to the tempo and kind of slotted it in. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it was polar, polar opposites. That's incredible. And it is... I mean, that's the really fun thing about being on your own is you can, you can really adapt. Yeah, totally, totally. So I reckon this, uh, this is definitely a kick drum gig. Yeah, for sure. This is, is going to be meaty, I think. Yeah. 
at this stage, like you said, we you, this is like over a, a decade of performing as quote unquote Newton Faulkner now, yeah. and like, do you feel like the motivations to still write and record and and continue like staying active and not just kind of relying on nostalgia, which is like what a lot of artists can fall into? Like, do you feel like? maintaining that sense of being contemporary and like uh having all that as like factoring to what you do now do you feel like that's kind of the motivating force to do that is still the same from when you started out like wanting to just continually evolve and adapt and yeah. change and all that sort of I mean, stuff I, to be honest i think it's stronger yeah i think a lot of stuff before that i just kind of did by mistake yeah, right. I mean, you're just messing around. Because yeah. there's no kind of consequence to it. You're like, oh, it's going to do some stuff and do some stuff over here and see what happens. Oh, it's done really well. Ah. And it's kind of after that, you're like, oh, oh, okay, I need to... But now it's like my kind of hunger to experiment and record and write is... Yeah. So, and also, I've got a studio in my house, so I can, ah, I can yes. work all the time. Mm. But for me, it's been it's been quite a kind of zen journey through the whole thing from getting it right because you had no idea what you were doing yeah to starting to think you know what you're doing and it getting it a bit wrong yeah to then accepting that you don't know what you're doing and then kind of panicking about it Mm. to then accepting that you know what you're doing being okay with that and then actually doing some some good work yeah and I think most people seem to it seems to be a cycle that I think a lot of people go through creatively because you are just messing around and there is no consequence and you are kind of very, like a lot of the stuff that goes on your first album is stuff well I think for most people it's slightly different for me yeah a lot of the stuff that goes on first albums is stuff that's been written over a really long period of time mm. when they had no idea it was going to be an album yeah with me a lot of stuff was actually written in the last six months after I got in yeah signed a publishing deal and yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. I think it's because something clicked and just my writing improved so it made sense to kind of go with the newer stuff. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've kind of touched on this a little bit, but Mm. I bring this up, like, with more or less everyone that I speak to. Like, when you're young, you have that very idealistic view of, like, what a band's trajectory is like. And, you know, every band has that, like, rock biopic moment. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, there's there's always the moment where, you know, the band or the artist makes it, you know, and... As idealistic as that may seem, I feel like every musician in one way or another has that moment for themselves. And I'm curious as to what it might have been for you that might have like clicked over and just been like, Oh, this is this is this is it, you know, like whether it's getting to go to a certain place or meet a certain person or play a certain venue or anything like that, the kind of thing that, you know, if teenage you knew about it it'd be like fuck off that didn't happen I think for me it's Glastonbury yeah like, the first time I played Glastonbury was such like a big I mean hey, it was it was a massive stage it was huge yeah. yeah 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 and that yeah that for me it was also feeling like part part of the industry and being like I've been accepted into the music industry I'm doing Glastonbury I'm playing three times mm. this is this is it yeah but then the main thing I want to do I mean I'm not I want a career and I want to be doing this for the rest of my life and yeah. I, want to, I want to have the option of going on tour when I'm 80 yeah might have to sit down but <laughs> I think where does that come from I think it's I saw a video of who was it Stefan Grappelli 
Right. In his 80s. Yeah. And he could... He was, like, hobbling onto stage. Yeah. And he was like, oh, oh, how's this going to go? Mm. And he'd struggle to get the violin under his chin. And I was like, oh, that looks, that looks like horror. Yeah, yeah. And then as soon as he started playing, it's like fucking Yoda. He just <laughs> changed completely. Like, he'd relax. Like, his whole body changed. He was 15 again. Yeah. And it's this kind of transformative power of that music can have when you play it. And I just, yeah, that's... That's kind of what I'm working towards. Yeah. Is that. And I'm trying to think who else who does... Someone like James Taylor's amazing. Oh, sure, yeah. Just because he just has it. Like, his voice is identical, if not slightly better. It's ridiculous, right? But then if you look at his catalogue, he does, like, he knows... He knows where he wants to sing. Yeah. And he stays right there. Which is... I don't do it. Like, I really push it. I go as high and as low as I can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much every night. <laughs> Might need to curb that, maybe. Calm that down. <laughs> for, my, for my gig when I'm 80. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like James Taylor knew. It's yeah. Like, I'm going to be playing this when I'm 80, so let's just keep, yeah. it, keep it in the pocket. Very safe, very safe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so we'll wrap it up here, but before we do that, mm-hmm. I ask this of all of my guests, yep. and now it is your turn, Newton Faulkner. I want to know about the best and worst shows that you've ever played. Oh, the best. I mean, I've... I just love playing. Sure. I mean, my favourite gigs are the ones where everything goes wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. Just because it's... I mean, when you've done, like, consistent, like, show, and it's good, and it's good, and it's good, but you, you know it's good, mm. and you start going through the motion, and then there's a power cut, and suddenly you're like, whoa, okay, I've got to pull something out of the bag, and I feel like people really get judged on those moments. Yeah. Like, when everything breaks, and you end up... I mean, there was one gig where I ended up standing on a table like this, um, just in the middle, just <laughs> playing acoustically because everything had gone so wrong. Yeah. And there's something really nice about that. I like that kind of... Because it creates... I remember there was one gig I was doing and it was... I was having a good time, but I just wasn't... didn't quite click for me. I was like waiting yeah. for something to happen. Yeah. And then literally like a light exploded and something fell on the floor and smashed. And then from that moment on, it was one of the best gigs I've ever done. But right. it just needed something to kind of just wait, yeah, kind of snap people in. Yeah. I mean, in terms of worst gigs, I, I've got a number of different strategies Yeah. in a gig. And it's like a, it's a bit like, who was, it was a comedian. It was to, Tommy Cooper I heard talking about crowd. And I didn't realize he did this mm. until I saw him. But he kind of treats the crowd like a kind of grid of people. And he's like, right, these guys like those jokes. That need, that guy needs that. They need that. This little pocket over there needs that. Mm. These guys want the quiet ones. So I need to make sure I do enough of those. The front row is guitar fans because they're staring at my fingers. <laughs> and this girl wants me to sing about chicks. And that's cool. <laughs> and then you kind of work your way around and you tick it off. And mm. I think because it's, it is just me and there is like a huge element of making stuff up between songs and improvising and I very rarely let it get to the end of the gig mm. without it feeling like a good gig yeah because there are there's the guitar stuff there's the vocal stuff and then the other kind of huge element of what I do is talking complete rubbish <laughs> and just being slightly ridiculous and not really caring too much which is a huge part of the show. There's people that come literally just for that. Yeah. And it's, it's weird, but it's like another, it's another layer 
to it. And it's mm. even if like, so let's say like I'm I'm struggling with some kind of health thing and my voice isn't as good, but playing I'll still be good. Yeah. And I can still be really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm completely brain dead, so I can't be that stupid because. I'm not being funny, I'm just being weird. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of turn that bit off and you're like, right, if that's not... So I can usually find the kind of sweet spot. And it's different. Sometimes you have to just really mean it. Sometimes it's just groove. You've just got to really get get it funky and then everyone's happy. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they just want you to sing, like, really passionately. And it's... Yeah, I, I, there are very, very few gigs that I've ever allowed to end with me feeling that they've gone badly. Yeah. Because I don't accept it, and I will fight until the bitter end. <laughs> I mean, I've played kind of twice as long as I was supposed to play, because when I was supposed to finish, I wasn't happy yet. Yeah. And I'm not losing, because that's not what I do. <laughs> and I've, got, I've got one job, and I am going to do it, and that is to make sure everyone leaves with a fucking smile on their face. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I kind of I fight for it. That's beautiful. <laughs> you got to be fucking happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Newton, you have a best of that is out now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, is there a new record on the way at some it's point? It's just, yeah, it's just fermenting at the moment. Ah, excellent. It's currently marinating in, this, in my brain. Mm, crispy. So mm. we'll see it sometime <laughs> next year, you reckon? Yeah. Yeah, I'm playing some new stuff tonight. Oh, fantastic. Oh, there's also a whole album of kids' music, but that's all oh, the tight. story. <laughs> oh, are you going to make your kids' record? I've already made it. Oh, you've already made yeah, it? Yeah, I made it earlier this year. It's for Sick. four to 11-year-olds. I'm actually on breakfast television tomorrow talking about music for four to 11-year-olds. Nice. How do you land on that? It was an interesting journey. It came out of like a long drive with my sister. Right. And we were just kind of... I'm trying to remember how we got there. And yeah, there's loads of things kind of led to it being an idea and then it was trying to form it into something. And it was when I heard... I heard my son in the bath. I've got a, an eight-year-old son, very nearly nine. Right. And he was in the bath, and I was in the kitchen. And I, I just heard this little voice being, Ooh, I want to touch your body. I was like, no. No, you do not. I know you. You want to play with Lego. And that is what you're into. You don't want to touch people's bodies. Like, no. who, who have you been listening to? And then from there, I was like, okay, so there is this weird gap between nursery rhymes and then like you being old enough to understand what most other songs are about mm. which is relationships and yeah. sex and all that stuff comes into it and it's I just wanted something that was decent music that wasn't patronising musically yeah. but lyrically was about stuff that kids can relate to so what mm. we did is a, a child's whole day from waking up to going to bed and there's stuff about cleaning your teeth, stuff about eating your greens, stuff about making friends. Yeah. And it's quite... It's quite... I, she, we talked to a... Uh, she's a... What is she? A neurological scientist. Right. Um, and she was like, no, this is a really good idea because they kind of... Like, kids need that. And that yeah, level yeah. of... If you play them really simplistic music, it actually, like... They need to develop their brains, so... Yeah, it's like, don't patronise me. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm a four to eleven really, year old. I deserve yeah, respect. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> That's out already. You can find that on Spotify. It's called My Music, which is spelled M O Z I K. Nice one, Newton. Thank you so much for your time today, Absolutely man. Really pleasure, appreciate man. it. I'm David James Young, and all my friends are in
You've just listened to a not-for-print podcast, independent Australian podcasting.